good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is the podcast, and we're back once again with another episode of Brunch with Naomi Osaka. And today we're going to be celebrating, honouring, and sharing some stories about uh, an amazing UK, worldwide known filmmaker called Menelik Shabazz. Today I'm joined by Mark. How are you, Mark? Jermaine, hi. Hi, how's it going? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You sound a lot healthier than you did during the week, so that's good. Oh, yeah. Every day is a new step. Brilliant. You sound a lot better. Welcome to have you back. (laughs) Oh, tell me about it. Uh, I'm intrigued um, because the outline you've given, you said a worldwide renowned filmmaker and uh, and I'm ashamed to say I've never heard of his name before okay so if I just kind of run a few of the films that he has uh, put out one of them you might know the story of Lover's Rock well that's weird I know about Lover's Rock but I don't know the story of Lover's Rock as a film so I I haven't come across it now okay Um, there is also uh, Pharaoh's Unveiled no. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm speaking for the audience have... in that don't know him because I've never come across his name. I'm, apo- I'm apologising for not having come across his name. <laughs> there, there, there's a number of films that he's put out all on his website. And these are like, hello, how can you say, almost like checkpoints in, in history in terms of film for the UK. Um, I, can see, I can see that we have Reynaldo with us. Wow. Welcome, Reynaldo. Welcome to the Curious Anarchy podcast. How are you? Can you hear us? Reynaldo? I think we can hear you. Or is that you, Mark? No, I'm not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) I've issued the link to my friend Gigi, who is a, a, a journalist. Um, in the US okay. and um, she's forwarded it on to Reynaldo and also to Diara um, and hopefully she'll be on herself <laughs> so, hopefully we want um, to hear them but, but Reynaldo can you hear us yes I can oh, wonderful. oh wonderful. welcome to the Curious Anarchy podcast how are you I am fine thank you guys thank you well, for thank you for coming this, this is a really special day because um, we wanted to pay tribute to Menelik Shabazz, who is, is somebody that you know, and, and did you work with him? Oh, yes. Yes. Menelik was my brother. Menelik was my brother. We had the opportunity of not only working professionally speaking, but we, we had uh, different moments where we talked about many things. And as I say... Uh, that Menelik was a revolutionary Pan-Africanist uh, because I am I, I come from a part of the world where uh, uh, where black experience is not very well known. Let me let me tell you, I, I was born in Cuba. Right. Bienvenidos. <laughs> and and I have Jamaican and Haitian uh, blood. How, however. When I left Cuba, I realized that the Afro-Cuban experience was not very well understood or known. Mm-hmm. And 
since Menelik was a Pan-Africanist, a revolutionary Pan-Africanist, our interaction was not on the basis of where you're from, what do you want, is what we have in common here and what can we do together to move forward the ideas we both share. Wow. And, and, and that was a very important moment in our career as uh, film festival directors, as uh -huh. distributors, and, and as human beings. Uh, so, when Elite was a friend, I, I remember one year we were both walking down the streets in Toronto talking about his health and about different things. So, I also remember I attended in many occasions the festival in London and how I interacted with him, how we invited him to participate. And I remember one year we opened the festival with a double feature. Uh, burning an illusion and the story of lovers rock and he was there so i mean we had a long-term relationship wow wow he, he, it sounds like he was a bit of a visionary oh yes mm. oh yes uh, i uh, as i said i mean my wife and i my wife is my partner in, in crime here uh, we <laughs> do not come from the film milieu I am basically uh, a person involved in languages, uh, foreign languages, literature, and education. I have a PhD in that area. Okay. And I began to use films in the classroom in order to convey the different messages uh -huh. that we convey in our literary work. Because I, I, I began to treat the film as a literary work with images. And then my wife, she was working on her MBA here in Colombia, and she came up with the idea of expanding this notion that started in the classroom and moved it, uh, and, and, and moved it to cinemas. Here in New York City uh, at that time, mm -hmm. there was uh, a, a decent number of independent theaters. And okay. we realized that those theaters had a serious deficit of films about the global black experience. Mm. And then we continued the research. My wife and I, we, we met in Paris. Uh, she's, she's, she's from there. And it was a very interesting interaction because she also liked films and we would go uh, to watch films in Paris and uh, we realized that there was more offerings in the area of Afrocentric cinema in Paris than there was in New York City at that time. Mm. So we said, okay, this is going to be a cultural enterprise with the intention of promoting good images of us, of our people. And necessarily, after uh, getting to know more, and we're still learning more about African-American cinema, we began to search uh, films depicting the stories of people of African descent in other parts of the world. And then Black British cinema uh, was part of that 
research and we found many leaks. Uh, many leaks work. <clears throat> Pardon, excuse me. We found Oras always work. Isaac Julian and others. And for for person, earth, uh, I mean, let me put it this way. Maybe because of ideological connection, uh, our relationship was longer with Menelik Shabazz than it was with the other filmmakers that I mentioned. Okay. Uh -huh. that, why was that? Uh, because we sat down, I mean, in, and talk about things that had nothing to do with cinema, that had to do with our identity. Uh, mm. Let's not forget that I was born in Cuba, but Menelik was born in Barbados. Yes. We are, we, are, we are both Caribbean folks. <laughs> you see what I mean? So we, we have a Caribbean identity, a Caribbean spirit that we share. Mm. And that created connection. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you that I did everything I wanted to do with his work here in the United States. And that is the, the, the sad part of the story. I think Menelik was misunderstood in this country. Okay. Because we opened um, the story of Lovers Rock here in New York City. And he was present. He attended the, the opening night, the screenings and all that. And uh, we did our work. And I did not see the reaction we expected. And we were together, we were a little bit sad, both of us. And then we, we realized that uh, this incredible work he did with uh, Afro, uh, Black British culture, music, uh, the ideological input of the Black persons in the UK and all that, uh -huh. was overlooked at that time. I am now very impressed to see the work of Mr. Queen and how well received uh, his work is and it is around the same theme so uh, Menelik and I began this work with Lover's Rock and uh, Time Time and Judgment and we realized that uh, there was not much room to grow in the right direction so we had festivals we had, I mean, uh, I'm still connected to Columbia University, so we have uh, film screenings here at the university and all that. And, and did, did you put these, so, sorry, Reynaldo, did you yeah. put these festivals on with Menelik or in association, in association with Menelik? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, we, we have, um, we are legally distributing two of his films uh and uh, we have another one that was made in collaboration with a group of folks over there uh the one about uh paul model uh we, we signed with the folks that um uh produced the film so in fact in our uh catalog we have three films directed by Menelik shabazz wow yeah that is incredible. And and j just for a moment now, I'd like to just welcome Diara and GL to the show. Hi. Thank you for, Thank you Hi, for having us. How are you both? I'm good. <laughs> we are fine. 
Wait. <laughs> Where's Gina? Gina, are you here? I'm I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, now we yeah. can hear you. Okay, great. Good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome everybody. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Good, afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah. Thank you for coming on to the Curious Anarchy podcast. Um, I've been speaking with GL and and uh, she's been kind of resisting coming on, but um, oh, oh. <laughs> she she had a hand in assisting with having Reynaldo and Diaro come on to share about Menelik Shabazz to pay homage. And um, I'd like to invite. Uh, Let's go Diara. We'll go to Diara first um, and just share on some of your, your memories with uh, working with Ronaldo and Menelik, of course. And then we'll go to GL. Is that okay, GL? Oh, sounds great. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Diara. Yeah, Menelik was a... He, he, I, I mean, he had a strong, strong connection with Ronaldo. Uh, I, I am more the business person, and so I dealt with him on that end. And he he was you know serious and reasonable, and it was a, a pleasure to work with. Uh, I I really love his work. I think uh, it's very important uh, in terms of you know for us in the U.S. I was born in France, like Ronaldo mentioned. My father is from Mali, West Africa. My mother's French, and so I was not familiar at all with the uh, Black UK experience. And mm-hmm. you know for me. Watching these films about the black experience all over the world is really an educational process where I get exposed to realities that I see are common to my reality, but I, I didn't know much about. And I think Menelik really, his work really did that. He, he, it really gave a voice to, you know, black British, to the common folks. And, and he does it in a way that's very loving. <laughs> Even though in some cases there's tension in the characters, thinking of burning of an illusion, you know, and sometimes the representation of women, I had my issues with that, but mm-hmm. uh, but overall, you know, I think he he has he, he was he was doing an amazing work, and I, I really enjoyed you know meeting him, talking with him. I was already very intrigued by his last film as well, about the pharaohs. So he's he was going into many different directions. And uh-huh. that that's uh, that that you know that's a true artist who who can do that and for so long, for so long. Mm. His generation seems really significant. We also have people like Spike Lee who are around the sort of same age. Um, did you guys work with Spike Lee as well? Have you worked with him? No, no, we have not worked with him. Okay. Ah, uh, because he doesn't need us. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, let, let's be let's be realistic. Uh, we have created connections uh, with different folks. Uh, I, I was recently talking about an incredible man that uh, we met in Burkina Faso. Uh, his name was uh, Clemente Soba. Clemente Soba also died last year, and he was a film critic from Burkina Faso. And Clemente and I had the possibility of discussing uh, during the FESPACO's uh, events uh, in Italy. I invited him over here to the United States, in Paris. I mean, those guys understood a number of things. And I, I connect the, the, the ideology of Clement to the ideology of Medellin, that of being uh, international Pan-Africanist, uh, revolutionary Pan-Africanist. Uh, but when, when, when you come to the United States, the uh, 
American film industry is very strong. The African-American component in the film industry here is not new. Mm. So when you walk in here, you realize that you are dealing with folks who already have an infrastructure that is moving. There are resistance, there are problems, even today. But mm. today, uh, we talk about Black Hollywood. I was recently, because I'm, I, I like to watch, let me say this, I like to watch all films. And I was recently watching Anna Lucasta with um, Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, Erta Keith. So Black Hollywood has been around for quite some time. So yeah. the work of um, uh, Spike Lee, the work of uh, even a guy who is not well known, um, Charles Burnett. Charles Burnett. These are folks who belong to structure. When you talk about the situation in France, the situation in the Netherlands, we, we have a couple of films made by Felix de Roy, which is from Curaçao, and he made films in that uh, uh, Dutch uh, sphere. When, oh, you move, when you move to the UK, you realize then that the infrastructure is not there. So we tried to create a connection because we knew that here in the United States, there was a taste for that kind of film. And there was a need. I remember going into a classroom in this town, I'm talking about Manhattan, and people were very surprised at that time when I would say to them, okay, I'm here to teach you French. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm a dark-skinned man. And it's like, I, usually the tradition was that all the teachers of French were white. You see what I mean? So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I realized that the infrastructure was not only in terms of the uh, movies available, but the understanding of the existence. You see what I mean? Yeah. So we participated in all that, and a guy like uh, Spike Lee didn't need us for that. And, Fair enough. Uh, we have shown we have we have shown his films, but we had never worked directly with him. Right. Okay. Okay. But you guys are keeping yourselves quite busy anyway, so maybe you don't have the time to work with him. Well, <laughs> no, we we are open and we are always learning. And uh, there are many things going on here in the United States uh, because we have a strong uh, movement, of, movement of images and ideas pertaining to the human experience of people of color, not only people mm. of African descent. So you can find, we have worked several times with Charles Burnett, for example. Charles Burnett is very important when you move to a cinema that is independent, that is very exploratory, and that is edgy. We recently um, acquired a new title. Uh, the film was in Slam Dance. The filmmaker is a young man, uh, an African-American director, 
and and let me let me tell you the title which is very uh provocative the title of the film is the sleeping negro and <laughs> we are we are going to distribute that film we have already secured a couple of screens in la so we we we're working we are working here and we are open we are open we, we are learning a lot uh this is uh, a reality uh i was very um how can i put it uh sad because i, I would go to london and i would see uh, during the festival any festival days and i would see the audience i would speak to him i would speak to other folks and i realized that the british since all that was not part of the establishment whatever the establishment it is over there mm -hmm. they were not paying too much attention to that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and here is different the american structure is to a certain extent more flexible and things have happened here that might happen there but i don't know yet mm. the things that happen over there yeah well the, the contrast well, the contrast that you just said uh, the contrast mm. that i i see that uh, in the united states there is a critical mass of people of african descent not only african americans because our festival has proved has proven that to me that you have folks from many parts of the world who are black african afro-caribbeans african descent who come to the festival to see a film like the one i mentioned the sleeping negro why because this is a subject we talk about this is a subject that we teach so they want to see what is that i right. am i am going to mention another film uh, we have a film from brazil marigela marigela was a black revolutionary in brazil in the 60s we got that film at the berlin alley we brought it to the us the film is in theaters now because there is a uh, i could say a critical mass that is interested in watching those films it is important to say that there, ha there has been a work to create that taste that critical mass of folks who say let me see a film from brazil about a black brazilian revolutionary you mm -hmm. see what i mean mm -hmm. well when i when i go to europe europe has become uh, a multiracial phase and films depicting those stories are very rare so there's no taste and those who have the motivation the intelligence and the intellectual sophistication to create the taste don't have the resources mm. so I, want, I, mean, I want to ask you a question um just before i go back to diara um do you know about steve mcqueen over here i, I was do. just about to ask I that yeah, yeah okay yeah you've seen I, small acts then yeah the thing is with uh, steve mcqueen he has been embraced by the establishment in the us he was picked up by amazon prime uh -huh. and there were a whole bunch of advertising and so he's been celebrated and in fact he was known before because he had other films that won awards you know in major yeah. you know in the oscars etc so steve mcqueen is known and recognized 
since uh, since twelve years of slaves. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He he's really established here. He's like part of the establishment. A lot of black British actors and directors are always part of the establishment. They are completely accepted within the in the film industry. So small acts was big here. Everybody was talking about it on Facebook. Wow. You know that's the point of reference, and and um, and it and we watched it of course, and we we loved it. But we were like, and it was really well made. But we were like, Menedek did that before, you know, and Menedek didn't get that kind of recognition. But it's it's not just the talent and the uh, and the. It's also who you know. It's also the times. It's also many other factors that, you know, that play into the level of success you can acquire at any given moment with. A specific topic or a specific work, and uh, Menedik was ahead of his time. Well, it's interesting you say that because I believe he made a film around the issue of the um, New Cross fire. Yes, and uh, Steve McQueen, another series just now that is based around that. Exactly, right. exactly. So that's what Menelik was touching on those topics way before, yeah, but at yeah. the time he was marginalized. He was. Uh, anti-establishment he was being uh, he was not supported and today now it's it you know with the, there's a change in time there's black lives matter there's uh, a certain level of uh, maybe understanding or realization that things have to be uh, you know recognized accepted yeah? yeah or you know and and so now Steve McQueen is giving which is wonderful because at mm -hmm. least now more people are aware of those issues and it's it opens up a dialogue so it's great you know there's nothing wrong yeah. about what's happening with Steve McQueen it's it's too bad that Menelik was not able to take advantage of that when he was alive I think it it, it, it partly you kind of touched on it there the BLM protest all through last year it it really brought to the attention to the, the larger wider con uh, consciousness like the issues that we are actually facing that some people ignore and some people don't want to accept. So when Small Axe came out, for me, that was powerful. Yes. Like I'm, I'm only 35, so Menelik Shabazz, I, I vaguely knew something of him, um, but I'm coming into the understanding that he is actually a pretty big deal. <laughs> oh, yes, he is. Yes. He is. But if, the if other I, thing... I, sorry. No, I just wanted to um, kind of just, you know, uh, on the heels of what Diara and Bernardo were sharing, um, he, he certainly laid a lot of groundwork. And I think that when we think of, or when I think of uh, filmmakers of his era um, that he came out of, um, I, you know, you know, you all have mentioned Holly Jarima, but I think of uh, Julie Dash, you know, with the Daughters of the Dust, and she's one of the American filmmakers that, you know, began what we think of now as the Renaissance and Black American cinema. Uh, but, you know, when they started in the uh, 70s in California, you mm -hmm. know, they were kind of very much at the forefront and, you know, were actually creating a model that really hadn't existed. And so this is, you know, those filmmakers are kind of like the filmmakers you know, that some of the, you know, more well-known, uh, more contemporary filmmakers like Spike Lee, um, you know, they looked at. But I also think of uh, Menelik as a connector because of his work. And I know you may touch upon it in a, a, a moment or so, you know, his work uh, as a publisher. Um, he 
created a community around his work, but also it uplifted the work of other independent filmmakers, uh, you know, and gave space for them to have these conversations um, about film and about issues, you know, that matter uh, to Black people, you know, wherever we show up, you know, whether it's Black Brits or, you know, Black Americans, African Americans. Um, his, his, his work, you know, gave us a space to kind of have that conversation about what our, what our work should be, what films, you know, um, you know, where the films were that were being made. You know, it is, I mean, let me say this, it's very correct to indicate that Haile Garima, Julie Dash, Charles Burnett uh, play an important role in the uh, American film scenario. Uh, but it is unfortunate that uh, we don't know more about them, number one, and this is something that I deplore, and number two, that they do not get uh, to work more frequently today. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is not because they are no longer uh, around that they don't have the talent to put together interesting work. And there is a trend that favors what is more commercial. And this is a yeah. word that yeah. is complicated sometimes. But uh, here, uh, there is this tendency to look for the commercial-oriented uh, film production. And uh, you are not commercial if, to a certain extent, you deal with certain type of social commentary that would make the establishment uncomfortable. <laughs> because there is a tradition, and I keep telling people, look, I have gone through three uh, Eurocentric cultures. I mean the Spanish-speaking culture, the French-speaking culture, the English-speaking culture, and I have come to one conclusion. There is a common denominator. They do not want to alter the status quo, period. So if you are a writer, if you are a filmmaker, if you are even a small person who has a voice, you are in trouble. Mm -hmm. And again, in, in the United States, you need resources to do certain type of things. If you don't have the resources, it is going to be complicated to materialize whatever ideas you have in mind. And then when you materialize the idea, and I'm going to say something from my perspective as a distributor, you have to confront the distribution establishment in this country and place the kind of product that make establishment uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Believe me, it's complicated. And this is the issue with uh, Julie Dash, uh, Charles Burnett, Heidi Gedima, and others. They would make, I remember, we opened in 1993 our film festival in New York City with Sankofa. And that was a historic moment for the festival. That was also a historic moment for independent cinema in this country. Later on, the uh, film was playing in the theater near uh, our house. And the debates were really heated I mean, because people could not accept this part of the history 
Now, mm-hmm. we're talking about 1993 opening a, a film festival in Manhattan with a film like Sankofa. We are talking about wow. uh, today is uh, we are in 2021, right? Yeah. And <laughs> we can talk about the heated debate around critical race theory in America. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. every time that is something that makes the establishment uncomfortable, okay, you are in trouble. I am. Can I also add to what uh, Ronaldo is saying? One of the things I remember, because I was a very young woman uh, in Washington, D.C., you know, the nation's capital, and I remember queuing up Ronaldo to see um, Sankofa. And I believe I happened to be there on the opening night because I believe uh, uh, Mr. Jarima, the director, was there. And I remember there was like a Q&A that followed, but if, I, I don't know if, uh, because of uh, Jermaine, I don't know if he's familiar with the film, if you've actually seen the film or not. I haven't. You have not. So I wanted mm-hmm. to share that because that's, the, uh, to me, a very exciting thing about the time we're in, uh, and the accessibility of media, you know, as a digital, um, you know, accessible um, through so many platforms, and of course, um, uh, APFF, you know, I believe still distributes the film. But what happened that particular night was it, it's a very uh, powerful film that deals with the themes of slavery and identity. Um, and we had had boots on American television, um, which, you know, I'll, I'll say. Mm-hmm. It was a very uh, pedantic telling of the slave narrative. You don't have to curve whatever you're saying. You can just. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's called curious anarchy for a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Knows how uh, PC I am, but but the but the idea. It's is all that, that journalist training. Yeah, but it's um. Yeah, but the idea of roots mainstream telling that we'd had on American television. We had not had any film. So, you know, cut to um, a decade and a half, not quite two decades later, and you have this powerful film showing up in Georgetown, uh, North Georgetown, um, has another name, but Georgetown basically in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. And there it was standing room only people were lined around the block. I cannot recall the theater. Um, however, the film was so powerful and we had not witnessed anything like it. And to have a conversation about what we just saw, what we were witness to. And well, did, did this take place in Brixton? No, no. It, okay. It's actually, um, I'll, I'll let, um, the distributors talk a little bit more but it's it's set it's the film is set in africa but okay uh at glory island is, is where it opens and there's a model who's transported uh to i believe a plantation and yeah. she has uh, a, an enslaved person experience and it's very traumatic and i remember being traumatized but the thing that was so powerful was that at the end of the film there were 
we had, there was live drumming and there was a very, um, very full circle uh, experience. So it was calming in a sense that we had a space to have a conversation and a dialogue about what we just witnessed. And that is the work of um, Ronaldo and Diara with what they've done for the past almost 30 years with their film um, festival and, and their bringing of these important films. But why this was so important at the same time that that film was screening right down the street on, uh, right down the road on M Street in Georgetown, uh, Daughters of the Dust, which was Julie Dash's landmark film, again, a different kind of story, but it was about a, a previously enslaved family that was being emancipated in the sense that they were leaving um, the Southern caste system and they were heading, but it was sort of like the story of their family. Mm. And the film back in this, this time, you know, people like literally queued up for, for weekends you know, just it sold out for weeks. And she could not get the film distributed. These were, this was during the time when there were a lot of independent American art houses, mm -hmm. um, film, film houses. So it was a, it was really a golden time, you know, for independent film. And um, I just think that the emergence of film festivals allow us to have access to global film and yeah. i'll just you know so the, the really awesome thing that millet created with his magazine was that as a film critic i had the opportunity to see uh films by people like uh jabril diop and camille phillips um and, and, and help me with the pronunciations emway uh and Gora. And then even the Iranian female filmmaker, Rakshan um, Bani Etemad. So there was just, you know, there were other festivals going on and the DC International Film Festival was one, but they were all kind of pointing the way to say, hey, these voices are here and we're going to tell our stories. And I believe, again, they just became foundational. They have permitted uh, the Steve McQueens of the world and, um, um, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting his name, uh, Moonlight. Um, Jenkins, Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Jenkins. There we go. Thank you, Yara. Yeah, who have now come forward and we're looking at as these very strong narrative voices that are in the mainstream. I, I see them as positive, you know, being able to tell their stories and tell our stories, the cult stories of the culture, because of the work of the groundbreaking filmmakers, you know, like the Menelik Shabazz's of the world. Yep. Well Incredible. said. Incredible. Like from, from what you've said there, I'm really getting like Black Panther vibe from, from the atmosphere that you were describing. Um, Black Panther was phenomenal in, in and this was all off the back of last year, the whole George Floyd protest, BLM, that raising in, of, of the consciousness. And then we ended up with Black Panther, which kind of really like accelerated all of that um, and really amplified that energy. Um, I wanted to ask actually, Diara, 
um, what is it like being a woman working in this industry? Well, I mean, it's it's like what is it like being a black woman working in this industry? <laughs> mm. Uh, because you know there are a lot of women in this industry, especially in the U.S. nowadays, um, and and I think they, you know, they, they in the U.S. I think there's uh, um, um, almost equal level in terms of uh, now today in terms of writers, producers. It's still a struggle and still issues, but it's not so bad. But black women, there's very few, especially when it comes to. Uh, independent cinema, you know, social, social, me socially meaningful, because you do have some, you know, Rhonda, what's what's her name, Rhonda Rhymes, yes. yeah, you you have Shonda black Rhymes. women, yeah, Shonda Rhymes, thank you, who who are very powerful, you know, in the in the film industry, but in the art house, meaning in in that space where you're trying to uh, present films that have uh, that are meaningful, that have um, a social commentary that would impact social change and social right. justice um, in that space uh, there are very few black people and there are even less black women um, so it's, it, it is you know it's like you stand out in the room especially I'm tall so if people people <laughs> you know you, you stand out and, and it's um, you know you, you have to take a lot of uh, you have to be patient and you have to you know stay focused and just uh, do the work that's all I can say Mm. You know, th th this one thing that I want to say, um, because what is known as Art Matton Productions uh, that we created um, almost 30 years ago, is structure that has on one side the film festivals, the African Diaspora International Film Festival, and on the other side, the... Um, Armatan Films, which is the distribution arm of Armatan Productions. There is a third component that I have here at the university that I call Films in the Classroom. And I show films and I invite folks. And the uh, um, uh, we live in an area where there is four or five uh, institutions of higher education, so it's free for them. So we, we create that type of a change. But it is important to know that here in the United States, there is a circuit of independent uh, our houses, I'm going to use that terminology. Yeah. That is to a certain extent the best terrain for some of the films we make. Uh, because we do not have a lot of resources to make our films. We are sometimes very intimate in the analysis of things. That circuit is very complicated too. I'm, I'm not going to say that the commercial circuit is uh, less complicated, but if you want to have a certain type of film, like, uh, let me put it this way, um, Sankofa, Daughters of the Dust, and others, the tendency is to go into that circuit of independent theaters yeah. and show those films there. Those theaters have not even tried to cultivate audiences of color. I mean, I am using the terminology of color because I want to be large. They don't play films about people in Asia or about the Asian experience in the United States and things like that. It's very, very limited. It is very 
uh, Eurocentric to say that at this time they are changing. Uh, there, there is progress, I could say. And all that plays a very important role in what is happening today. Uh, a guy like the new filmmaker we have uh, with the sleeping Negro, mm-hmm. we knew from the get-go that this is not a film to be played in the multiplexes. It's not going to make it there. No. So we, we need to find the independent circuit. We need to seduce the programmers in those theaters to play a film in which there's this black man confronting a white woman and telling her what she needs to hear. How much money do they need? How much? You don't know. It, it is something... <laughs> it, it is not very clear sometimes because you sit down and you map it out. I mean, what you're going to do with the film, how you're going to put it out there, who are the resources you're going to use, what are... Uh, I mean, there are many variables. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo, can I put a, a, an alternative perspective slightly, um, from certainly from England's point of view? Yeah. Um, in the time when Menelik was making films, a lot of the Pan-African movements, and I'm going to say world movements, not just Pan-African, I remember Cuba Libre, uh, Liberation for Cuba, for Nicaragua, uh-huh. uh, El Salvador, etc. All those things were underground. So yeah. you, you had to go to a hall or a, or a meeting to talk about them or see films about them. Because there was a thing of trust where you didn't want to open it to anyone who could be disruptive or an agent for the state. So they were very much in, in I can say, in small places deliberately because they wanted to make sure the audience was sympathetic and not uh, causing problems. And this was in an era when we didn't have the internet. So so people were able to stream who they could show the films to and who the audience would be. The internet has changed all of that because the film, young filmmakers today don't have that perspective. They don't say, I, don't, I want to make sure my films are more shown towards a specific audience. It's like open to everyone. And the problem with that is, you know, we have all this trolling and everything on the internet today. So that it's a very much more difficult task to find an audience that will appreciate films like this. Because you could say, well, anyone can see, for example, Roots. Every, I remember in England, when Roots came out, it was shocking and everybody watched it. But yeah. I, can't, I can't say too many films after that that, that that were of equal status, if you like. You know, in I terms was, of I was going to mention Roots, actually, because um, I know like a few like of the elders, for me, um, who were around at that time, and there were actual clashes on the street after that film. That's how powerful, in regards to emotion, and, and how, how people were moved by that film. <laughs> that it caused, you know, divides in, in society. Black and white people were fighting each other on the streets. Um, that's that's powerful. Sorry, carry on, carry on, Mark. Well, no, well, well, I was just going to say that that the other thing was that I met myself and all the people who regarded as broadstream left met people from all over uh, the world. Like, for example, people who were exiled from from South Africa or Zimbabwe. Uh, people who are from Cuba and Nicaragua. So we met people, we had meetings with these people, highly um, informationized meetings where you learned so much about stuff we obviously weren't going to get from mainstream media. Um, and I think that has kind of disappeared. I think that, 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 that the, the forums to doing that 
are much more general today. They're not as specific. Whereas, like in the past, we would say there's a meeting in this hall about, let's say, for example,、um, the Black Panthers, and you would only come if you were interested. And if people came who were not interested, they wouldn't be allowed in. If you know what I'm saying, you know, it was much more specific. Today, you can have people like Steve McQueen making a film for TV, and people will watch it. Mm-hmm. In a in a different way to what those meetings were like, they they were much more about organising. These films are much more about, in theory, about raising consciousness. Well, and I'm interested. Well, Ronaldo,、mm-hmm. I'm interested in your perspective because you've you've come through that timescale as well. well you've come well, through that whole journey. Yes. What has happened is that、uh, some of those films have been kind of easily moved. Into the mainstream, whatever that yep, is. Yep, yep, yep. And the moment a film is moved into the mainstream, it has the resources to put it into the imagination of folks. Yeah. And the problem is resources because,、uh, in that purpose, we have the festival that began in New York City in 1993. But then we were able to connect with a brother in Chicago. He's in.、Uh, he's the programmer in the movie theater there, small independent theater. We have a film festival in Chicago.、Uh, we connected with a very active group in Washington D.C. We have a film festival in Washington D.C. We have a film festival in Paris that is coming up in September.、Uh, each one of these festivals,、uh, New York City is 29 years. Chicago is 19. So you see, we realized that we had to put some muscle behind the idea, and we worked towards that. The festival is the window, and then we moved to try to find the screens for the theatrical release and other platforms.、Mm. Uh, to a certain extent, we have been able to put some films into the imagination of folks in this country. Films、yeah. like uh, uh, *The Tracker*, which is an Australian film about Aboriginal folks,、uh, the actress David Goldfield, we still sell DVDs of that film. I mean, it it, it is not a mainstream film.、Um, a film like、uh, maybe you know,、um, *The Last Tree*, that was in Sundance. Sundance gave the film the stamp of approval. Because Sundance is a different film festival today, so we acquired the film, we played in theaters, and I think we are going to sell it to a TV, an important TV、uh, channel here. So you have to work hard, you have to do things, and to a certain extent, you move a little bit to the center every day.、Yeah. You are not going to be mainstream, but you are going to move a little bit more to the center.、Yeah. So this is our experience.、Mm. So to ask all three of you, what would be your for the future? If you could create an ideal sort of way that we can go forward, what would it look like? Oh, let, let, let me say this. Let me say this. This is this been my dream, but I'm I don't have the resources. I don't know if you resources. I would buy a theater like Tarantino did. Yeah, Tarantino yeah, bought it.、Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry, carry on. Yes, yes. Yeah, Tarantino recently bought a one-screen theater 
in LA. I mean, you meet today a one screen theater, and he said he would play only 35 millimeter prints in that theater. <laughs> I mean, well, I am not that extreme, but Diana died because this is part of her thesis for her MBA. I mean, to have a theater. And in a theater, you can do an incredible amount of things. You can release films, you can have retrospective, you can, and you can make a jump. But how can you buy, I mean, here in New York City, particularly in Manhattan, uh, there was uh, a good number of independent theaters, but real estate decimated those mm. theaters. Yeah, 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 so, same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, how are you going to fight against that? They have a humongous amount of money. But if, if you manage to find a place, if you manage to find a place, believe me, you are going to have folks coming, not necessarily uh, folks of African descent, because we are able to make films that speak to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, you read those films and you do things, period. But hey, we don't have the money. So if, if someone was listening to this, like, for example, if Steve McQueen or some nice uh, forward-thinking person in America or England was listening to this and gave you two theatres, what would be the next step? Oh, the, for, for us, that's not a problem. Yeah. We already have uh, two important films. As I said, the Sleeping Negro, which is uh, once the slam dance. We have a film we recently acquired that won the Cesar for the best actor in France. The Cesar, in case you don't know, is the equivalent to the Oscars here in the United States. Oh, wow, okay. And this is a film made in Tunisia. The actor is a Tunisian actor who uh, won uh, the best actor award in Venice and in France in the, during the Cesar. And then we have for example, we have a series that we call the Afro-Latino Experience, and we have him from Honduras. Uh, we have an incredible film about Haitians in Cuba. So mm. we, we can have a little bit of a retrospective of some sort of, I mean, we have um, in mind a revival of The Tracker, the film that I mentioned with David Gulpilil. David Gulpilil uh, is the most important Aboriginal actor in, in Australia. And the tracker is going to be celebrating 22 years of wow. Uh, wow. quality. So that could be. I mean, we have a lot of ideas here at Armatan Productions, but we don't have these resources. But if someone's listening who is prepared to help you, I'm hoping this this podcast can go out and someone might hear it and say, you know what, I would like to help. <laughs> Communication is that's the key. Yeah. We, yeah, you need you need a you know, the, the the cost of running a movie theater, you know, between the uh, the, the space and the staff, etc., is very expensive, and, and that's the pressure that a lot of theaters, independent art house, have to face. Yeah. And if you're, if they're not not for profit and get support from the government or foundations, which in this case they then have to cater the programming to to please those guys. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you know, so if you really want to be able to recreate the atmosphere you were talking about earlier, where you have you know the kind of films that are controversial, where you can have long conversations and you can really 
meet people and create an environment yeah. for learning and for exchange you 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 cannot have financial pressure and the no. financial pressure the the commercialization of everything in the film industry is preventing the the intellectual growth of people because people are just concerned about making money so you use the Correct. lower denominator to do everything and nothing of value comes out of it except just you had a good time which and is that's perfect that's perfect because it leads me to the question i really wanted to ask you which is if menelik could come back now and an environment was there that you've achieved what you all guys are sitting down together and hoping to achieve what would it look like well i mean i, I think menelik has never stopped working it's just uh, he, 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 if he were given the resources he would be very successful yeah but i mean if he could see what you've done in his legacy like if you carried on creating what he was looking to do what would if he came back now what would he see what would he find uh he would he would find a home he would find a place where he can <laughs> he can hold home yeah yeah i mean uh, as i said uh we have festivals and then uh the festival in in, in paris is in september but uh, next month we have the festival in washington dc and okay. we are taking advantage of this opportunity to show the three films uh that many leaks have as directed that we distribute we are oh, wow. okay. the films and and uh, i mean we are going to do the best we can to talk about his work and all that uh because so in washington did you say yeah washington dc it's online Next month. It's, it's un- unfortunately it is online so oh okay because of the covid you mean yeah 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 yeah, the, yeah. the covid has uh i don't know how to put it because maybe in the uk it's different but the, the covid to a certain extent has limited the kind of audience we serve yeah yeah uh other folks tell you oh our festival did very well uh online i sometimes feel that the audience we serve is still reluctant to get online or don't yes. have the skills and yeah. Yeah. that affects us <laughs> but yeah, anyway no, <laughs> anyway we still we still here we still fighting so next month we're going to have that program we have an, a, a rich program with more than 23 titles uh it's a short event one week event virtual and we are going to uh, uh do pay homage to many leagues of as work wow uh, well, wait, wait, you the places you've mentioned you seem to be uh not including the uk uh for the festival you mean or for the showings the viewings that you okay. put you were, you said Paris for example um yes yes what I does mean. it what, what do we need to do in London to encourage you guys to come here well let me say this to you um there was a moment there was a moment when many league was around that uh, we attended several of the festivals he was part of the one mm-hmm. he created and we connected with folks over there and we brought some films uh from that festival to our festival here in the us the different festivals we have okay. uh when when the his festival uh, when he was no longer the head of the festival the interaction with that festival changed uh, so we moved to a brother uh, i am calling him a brother uh his last name is Sutherland. he worked for bfi 
Oh, and uh, he is the one who has been screening some of the Armadan films in the uh, UK. Okay, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. he worked with us for the screening of Barrow Freedom Fighter, <laughs> the film from Barbados. Are you talking about Somerset? Uh, Somerset? Somerset. Yeah, Somerset, I'm sorry. Somerset is his last yeah. name. And he is the one who has been interacting with us uh, in our research of, of, um, of films and screening some of the titles that we handle. And, and, and I would like to add that in the UK, we do have one website that screens films like globally. So folks in the UK that listens to it who want to experience some of the films we distribute, they can go to artmattenfilms.com. So it's A-R-T-M-A-T-T-A-N films, one word, artmattenfilms.com. And there people can stream uh, online films on VOD and watch, you know, we have films about Franz Fanon. Uh, we have films, you know, different kind of things that are quite interesting. And in Thank line you so with much. The, yes, you're welcome. That's so good. Thank you. For anyone listening, you've got the contact details. You know where to find these films now. Yes. Let's not forget that we're a small uh, operation. We don't have all the resources we want to have a larger number of films. Uh, and this is perhaps one of the, 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 the issues, because I remember we worked in, in Geneva, Switzerland. And mm -hmm. we had someone who was the host of the operation, but when that host disappeared, well, the operation in Geneva stopped. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. You okay. see what I mean? We we yeah. need to have uh, some sort of um, uh, structure, uh, welcoming structure. Let me put it that way. And I know it not it is not easy. There was a moment, for example, that we worked for seven years in Curacao in the Caribbean. Why? Because we uh, had a, uh, a host in Wilmstad, the capital of Curacao. The, the operation was easy. He runs a theater. He doesn't run the theater anymore. So when, when he was running the theater, he would invite us. And uh, okay. you see what I mean? The, the operation was... Right. You need smooth. a bridge. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. We need a bridge. Exactly. We, we cannot yeah, yeah. just go in and you know like that. You need people yeah. locally who can support. Because and I let me let me. I'm sorry. I need to correct myself. The artmartinfilms.com website for streaming is actually for the US. I have another one for international. So oh, okay. let me let me give that to you. So it's fifda.org. corrections. Thank yes. you. <laughs> fifda.org. So it's f i f d a. dot o r g, and there's a fifda vod. Uh, uh, menu where you can see the films internationally. Wow, brilliant. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. If, if I may, I, I would like to just um, respond to the question uh, Mark posed to us and also, um, you know, thinking about what Ronaldo's been sharing about, you know, if he could kind of you know, paint with his magic brush. Um, um, no, because really the idea um, of that kind of theater is just amazing because of the opportunities it would provide for the audiences as well as the, you know, the working filmmakers. But I think in my mind, the connection is really in a sense right before us um, that the, if I could, you know, talk about the scenario for the future, 
um, in my mind, I would really look at how we can connect uh, Generation Z and the millennials mm. um, because you have now this, you know, new um, group of people who are interested and kind of like they're and it's almost like uh, what you find in music like a lot of times in American hip hop um, the the newer younger rappers um, kind of are like like going through the um, the archives of the early you know rap music um, yeah, with yeah. rap and when it emerged you know in the um, in the in the latter 70s and early 80s and uh and so it's like you know for them it's like a treasure trove and i think that that we might be witnessing uh the beginnings of a, a renaissance where these younger um creatives as well as their audiences are finding out about you know these uh great filmmakers that we've been talking about and so in my mind, I would find also a way to uh, meld the connection between literature and film more closely. Because mm-hmm. when I think about, uh, you know, the big, of course, uh, most recent influence, one of them, it has, you know, was with Steve uh, McQueen's 12 mm-hmm. Year Slave. But, mm-hmm. you know, as we know, it, it was a book. It was an autobiography that yeah. was written, you know, um, by an American um, African man and I also thought about like what Ava DuVernay did with Selma so even though Selma wasn't a book she did research for that film like she was actually uh, creating a documentary and there were some fascinating articles posted about uh, the amount of research that you know was done you know, to even to begin to tell those stories. Mm. Another example um, that was for me a very interesting idea, but the Lovecraft country, even though we know about, you know, the author and his, I'll say checkered <laughs> identity. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things I wanted to share with the 12 years a slave, and this is the connection to those millennials and Zs, I actually saw a special screening at one of the HBCUs in the state, Hampton University in Virginia, and it was very powerful because the film was, for me, very difficult to watch, and getting to watch that film with college students, uh, we were lucky enough to have a couple of members of the cast as well as um, the film program chair at Hampton actually worked in Hollywood I'm going to remember her name in a moment but it was just it was done in such a way where there was sort of like with the uh, Hallie Jarima Sankofa film there was space to have a dialogue about you know what the students and the general audience had witnessed and I think that um, that will kind of getting back to uh, Mark's earlier point about sort of like you know at a certain time we found these films or we found people in the underground to kind of have these conversations about uh, these issues you know that our, our filmmakers are, are raising mm. and 
those kind of coffee house spaces have disappeared largely, but they, I think they are being replaced at what we find a lot of times on college campuses. And I do know that um, Arenado and Diara are working, you know, with some colleges uh, as well, you know, with what they're doing. But I just think that that's under tapped because um, they're hungry. They're looking for it. They're they're very good. Younger generations are very good at, um, um, as uh, <laughs> Jermaine showed me, as you know, taking a germ of an idea and just really running. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we're trying to play, you know, catch up. But I just think <laughs> it's it's a great idea, as you know, to open the gate, so to speak, because I think as like younger audiences find their way to like ADFF, for example, the African Diaspora Film Festival, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to like really popularize it and 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 borrowed the ideas of the film festival and you know and I think that's part of what the mission is is to kind of make film and art and these ideas accessible as to many people as possible and I felt that that was kind of also the mission of what Nellan was about uh, he really was about making his work and the work of others accessible yeah yep thank you Gia. um well, I have one last question, on. Jermaine. Go ahead. I've got one last question I wanted to ask because I want I want pe- I want this if people are listening who haven't come across um, the work you guys have been doing and everything. I-, I wanted to ask if you could all just nominate one movie for someone to watch if they've not seen any of them. So where should they start? What film would you recommend that you thought is a, a central pillar to begin their journey? Hmm. Wow. Whoever wants to go first when you're ready. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. Don't all rush at once. <laughs> I don't want to follow. I don't want to follow the film. Uh, the film experts. I'm gonna suggest the film that um, I actually uh, screened when I did a film program when I lived in Vermont, and it was on the anniversary of Paul Robeson's. Wow. 100th birthday. Um, I saw the film at the DC International Film Festival uh, that was uh, founded by a gentleman by the name of Tony Giddens in the early 90s. And um, his granddaughter actually gave a great commentary. So wow. years later, I had moved up to the mountains. I was having my mountain experience. And um, I, at that point, I had already uh, met um, uh, uh, Ronaldo and Diara, and so I was able to screen one of their films as well, uh, Journey to the Lion. But I would encourage people to try to find Song of Freedom. Um, one of the most amazing things about Paul Robeson, what he accomplished, and I would almost call him uh, a grandfather or a godfather of uh, Black American cinema, was that he had he was the first black filmmaker to have director's cut on his film he made several and I don't have all the film names in front of me but any of his films uh, that you could get your hands on 
Uh, there used to be a very small and very expensive <laughs> distributor. <laughs> and I remember when I screened, I think his, I, I did a short, uh, and it was as well as a feature, but it was quite expensive, but the guy gave me a payment plan. I mean, this is back when we had 35 millimeter. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, but yeah, I would encourage people to explore Paul Robeson because also a lot of the challenges he faced we still see filmmakers black and women filmmakers today dealing with some of the same challenges are you are you familiar with i don't know if it was in the film but he um was doing a, a show in london and when he finished and he came outside he he walked into a group of welsh miners who were who had marched down to london to complain about conditions in the mines in wales and he took them all out to lunch. He paid for their meal. Oh, wow. And then he went to Wales and actually performed. He sang, there's, there's videos of him singing in the Welsh valleys to the Welsh oh, miners. Wow. So it would be very relevant to England as well because his, his work was also done in England. And when he was uh, subject to the MacArthur witch hunts, he was, yes. he was denied working for about 10 years. Um, they did a live broadcast from America to Wales on his anniversary uh, with him there with him singing from his house to the Welsh uh, miners oh wow so it would be very relevant I mean it would be very helpful to hear people here to see that because there's a long history that he he incorporates mm. and he's actually a London dock worker in that film uh, Song of Freedom he actually okay. plays a lot so he I know had a very special relationship uh, with um, the UK. Yeah, yeah, he was such a humanitarian. I mean, hugely. He he learned Yiddish to sing to the people who were the Jewish refugees from from yes. the Holocaust. So amazing guy, uh, and hardly any anybody knows about him. He was the second most famous person in America before the witch, and almost unknown afterwards. Um, sorry, I, I interrupted. I do apologise. Um, <laughs> Diara. What well, movie would you like to give you us? You know, I, I think I'm going to rehash what we spoke about before. When 12 Years a Slave came out, I was so impressed with the film. Yeah. And then I went back and just back to back and went back and I watched uh, Sankofa. And I think what my recommendation is watch both at the same time, ah, back to back. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start to understand what the difference is when you look at the same topic from a different perspective. Uh, and the kind of message that comes out when it's establishment and when it's not establishment. It shows you the power of filmmaking as a way to frame an idea, a frame an issue, and how you present it. It's the same topic, but the way it's presented is uh, quite different. Both of them are extremely powerful and meaningful, but they are different. And I think that at the end of the day, Gary Maspis is still very revolutionary today while 12 years of slave is not well brilliant mm -hmm. answer thank you for me um i have many many titles in my head but one <laughs> title one title that really impressed me uh was uh camp of the which is a film directed by usman and ben uh camp of the is a film that happens after World War II with some Africans. Uh, it is not very well known, 
As a matter of fact, there is a museum in Paris and the curator is trying to restore the, the, the image of what is known as the Tirailleurs Senegalais. The Tirailleurs Senegalais were not all, uh, all of them were not from Senegal. They were ah. uh, members of the um, French uh, f uh, army or whatever we call it. Yeah. I'm sorry. The Foreign uh, Legion. Uh, no, no, no. No, the, no, no. The, 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 the forces that participated in World War II against uh, the Nazi... Um, yeah, the Foreign Legion, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the Tirailleurs Senegalais play an important role in that war. And uh, then when the war was over, they were sent to a place called Camp of Tiroye, and there there was a massacre because they wanted wow. to be paid, they wanted to get the, the dignity they deserved. There is a moment in the film when a group of Tirailleurs uh, Senegalais connect with uh, African-American soldiers who are in the same area. And this is the moment in the film where you see the connection, the continental connection. Yeah. And there are not that many films that I know about in which this connection is created with two group of people who have an, a common origin, who put their life to the service of a white cause. You mm. see what I mean? Yeah. And it yeah, is a yeah. moment of reflection. It is a moment of understanding. Uh, at, a, at a certain moment, if I remember well, the film Camp Otiaoye was banned in France, I wow. think because the film was extremely revealing of the way the French government treated the African soldiers that they didn't want people to see. I am not 100% sure of that, but I think the film was bad. And this is a film that marked me tremendously because I understood that in the particular case of the United States, uh, when the African-American soldier came back and we see that in many films. He wanted to be respected. And the history tells us that those soldiers who came back thinking that they had done something for the world and they deserve to be respected in this country were wrong. Mm. The same thing, there is a commonality between the soldiers, the African soldiers. They thought that they uh, put their life to the service of that cause again, Hitler. And, 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 and the German forces, so they deserve what the French white soldier got. And the treatment was different. So the, this is a moment of reflection. What is it that we get when we work for them? That's yeah. the, 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 the one that really comes to my mind now. And plus, Usman Samban is one of the forefathers of African cinema, so it's a great introduction to his work. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. Wow. That was brilliant. Thank you all so much for joining us. And and I mean, I think we're just clocking up one hour and 20 almost. So I really want to say thank you for, for sharing um, and for staying so long with us. Um, really do appreciate it. Um, when... And oh, go ahead. I, I just want to say, um, if people hear this soon and they want to drop by in Paris for a festival there, it's going to be September 3rd to 5th in Paris. And the, the website that I indicated, FIFDA, F -I -F 
da.org will have all the information about the festival. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Diara. Thank you very much, GL. And thank you very much, Ronaldo. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're and, welcome. And just before we go, do we have any sort of final thoughts that you'd like to share on Menelik Shabazz? Uh, he'll be missed. I don't know if we have realized that now, but uh, he'll be missed because, um, what? Let's be hopeful. Let's be hopeful that the, the kind of um, in, incisive look that he had of the British society comes back in a different way. I, I feel that we are repeating some of the themes that he worked on. Mm, mm. Uh, so let, let's see what's new and who is able to articulate it in a remarkable manner the way he did. Thank you. You're um, welcome. Diara, GL? Um, I, I, I'm just, at least now, I think maybe his name will resonate more than it did when it should have. I do see a number of tributes. I do see another number of plans by people in the industry to actually celebrate his work today. Yeah. So maybe today uh, a larger number of people will be acquainted to what he was able to achieve, which is a good thing. It's, it's good. At least he's getting that, even though it would have been better if he'd had it earlier now he's getting it and that's very important and 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 it's great i'm, I'm grateful for that thank you I, I would like to thank you i would like to just say that i was deeply um marked in a very positive way by his spirit um by his spirit as an artist um a very brief antidote um when i met him and we, we had the opportunity to work together you know he was a publisher and I was a writer mm -hmm. uh, but one year when he did come over uh, for an ADFF festival he arrived in town early and um, he was trying to work out um, you know the logistics of getting to New York uh, and you know staying I think he normally would stay near Columbia University and um, he had asked me if I, you know, would pick him up at the airport. And I said, you know, fine. And as it happened, I was in Philadelphia with family for Thanksgiving. And mm -hmm. he had a friend who was meeting him. But there was, because it was the holiday, it was a, a connection of, you know, getting everybody on the same page. Anyway, um, I, you know, extended an invitation for him to join our family for thanks, an American Thanksgiving. <laughs> and he was so, like, overwhelmed. And he was like, you know what, I don't know, I don't want to intrude. And I said, oh, no, we're just, you know, originally Southern folks. And so we're quite casual. And he came and he made such an impression on everyone as a person. So they didn't know about his body of work and that he was this... Uh, filmmaker of some renown and you know but they knew of him as a person and so that stuck with me through the years and so you know I remember also how kind he was as a to me as a uh, someone who was a younger writer 
and finding her way, uh, you know, with the work that I was doing as a film critic, but also as a journalist. And so he, his, his legacy to me is not this lofty man up on the hill, you know, you know, looking down and surveying or, you know, I'm the great person doing these great things. But he was really a, a man of, of the people and he was a connector. He, he brought me to a lot of people who uh, became uh, great influences in my life. So thank you for allowing me to share and thank you, Jermaine uh, and Mark for, um, you know, putting this on so that we can you know share about the impact of his his work which i believe his legacy will live on and inspire uh the next generation of filmmakers thank you that's that's, that's a real compliment because you know the, the idea of me not even knowing really much about menelik shabazz and now i feel like okay i need to go and really check out this guy's material because this guy was a big deal um and it's more than just about his work, it's about his, his personality, who he was as a person. And your stories are really, really touching. He only passed away on the, the 28th of June this year. So, you know, it, it's fairly recent. Um, so thank you for your, your words, GL, Diara and Rinaldo. Much appreciated. Thank you for having us. Thank I mean, you. I just want to say that... Um, thank you. I want to say you guys are very, very... Um, beautiful in the way you've expressed it. Um, your, your poetry of your words will stay with us long after the interview. And um, to finish off, I'd like to say, muito obrigado, la lucha continua. Okay, thank you. Grazie. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? Thank you and the struggle continues. La lucha continue. And, yes. and that's quite a good, I mean, not to kind of end up sort of opening this one up again, but um, just touching on Cuba, um, the news in Cuba this week about the potentially opening. Uh, the situation in Cuba uh, is beyond understanding for a person like me. <laughs> I, I think it's a very long discussion to have. It is, yes. I know, uh, I know. One thing I would like to say, I mean, I do not understand how the new administration does not see that the embargo is at the center of all the problems that that population is going, I mean, has faced for more than 60 years. I think they see it. I just don't think they, I think the example of Cuba is a terrible one for the administrations of, of the wealthy in America. I, I am a little bit concerned because I don't know, in, in my life, I had never seen before that the international policy of a country like the United States is determined or dictated by the exiles of the country in question residing in the United States. Mm. I mean, this is totally crazy for me. I mean, they are not dealing with Cuba on the basis of two sovereign independent nations discussing about matters that count. And that is totally, I mean, out, out of my understanding. But the thing is that when you go back in history, 
in the area, there is uh, this treatment that was signed in 1902 or 1900. I don't remember the exact date, uh, the, the Platt Amendment. That Platt Amendment gave the United States the right to intervene in Cuba, I think the whole Caribbean area. Because if we remember, the Caribbean is black, is the area with the highest African retention in the New World. And it looked like uh, the Americans from the very beginning had the purpose of controlling all those black people in that area. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So they had treaties and amendments and whatever you want to call it. And I, I, I don't want to think that they are going to appeal to that type of a structure to pay attention to the guys here in this country who are telling them you should intervene to provoke a, a, a regime change. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I am very... Renato, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question because to me, it, it is central to why this continues in this way. Can you give me another example where America has failed to get the regimes it wants around the world? Well, nowhere. Nowhere. And that's the problem because yeah. they don't like being told that their way is not the best way or that it's the only yeah. way. And this yeah. is the living example of the opposite. And that's what they find most uh, frustrating. As a, as a country, so yeah. until that changes, until that yeah. changes, they cannot give up on it. They've spent billions. They could have they could have made the country one of the most beautiful countries in the world just by giving them the foreign aid that they've spent on the military mm -hmm. efforts to mm -hmm. undermine the country. So you have to say this is for America. This is it's not even a, a physical problem. It's a mental problem that they can't mm -hmm. accept this as an example. So they're they haven't been able to grow up and behave like that. Exactly that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I was saying. He, you know, Biden is from the old guard, and he yeah. he has lived Cold War, and he's he, he really believes that what he's doing is correct. It's not yeah. the, anybody's influence. It's just that's just his mindset. But there is that wonderful thing. I don't. I think you probably have seen it. I hope you've seen it. The thing where Obama went to Cuba with this Cuban comedian. Have you seen it? No. It's on the it's on the internet. Uh, so, it started as a joke. Um, you know, like when when uh, Obama was opening up Cuba yeah. before mm -hmm. before Trump came in, mm -hmm. and um, there was some joke by where the, this Cuban comedian ends up phoning the White House and speaking to Mister uh, Mister Obama. Uh -huh. And then when Obama goes to Cuba, he actually visits this guy's house when they're uh -huh. playing cards or something. It's a wonderful skit, and it's uh, it's just if you get the chance to see it, it's on the internet. Okay. It's a wonder, it's a wonderful skit, and it, you know, Bummer actually went there, and it's just like, a, and, and it was a time that for Cubans and for, I met lots of um, Latin Americans, uh, sorry, um, North Americans who were in Cuba at the time, who all felt so alleviated by that idea that finally these these walls were coming down, yeah. and Obama had actually done that, even done a skit. A comedy skit with this guy, right. you know, like like late late news or something in uh, in America, you know, like some kind of comedy show, um, and it just looked like a new dawn. It looked like a new beginning, and then mm. of course Trump gets in and it changes the whole thing. Yeah. But watch the sketch because for Cubans it's a very very liberating piece of um, comedy. 
if you can have those expressions. But um, yeah. Great. Well, let's hope uh, things, you know, move in the right direction. That's for sure. And I know that uh, we here, myself and Mark at Curious Anarchy, are all about moving things forward. For real. That's all we've got time for today on the Curious Anarchy podcast. It has been a wonderful exploration of Shabazz, their dealings and and fun that they had together, um, with also some social commentary. (laughs) And such articulate and beautiful uh, memories. Thank you. Thank you, Diara. Thank you, GL. And thank you, Reynaldo. That is all we've got time for today. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Bye bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye bye. You know what I.